Have you ever heard a statement like what I'm about to tell you at time of delivery where there's known meconium and the fetal surface of the placenta or the choreo, the amnion, or maybe even the umbilical cord, or maybe even the child is meconium stained. And surely somebody in the delivery room, it could be the physician, the nurse, uh, the midwife, or the pediatrician, somebody will say, oh my goodness, look at the degree of meconium staining. That definitely has been there a while. Is that a valid issue? I mean, that's been used on both sides of a medical legal case. It's been used by a plaintiff and has been used by the defense to make the case both for and against a timing of meconium passage as a surrogate marker of potential hypoxia. Is that even valid? Can we kind of predict or go back and try to estimate the time of meconium passage based on the amount of meconium staining? Is that legitimate? Well, it actually goes back to the 1980s. The short answer is it's not so easy as that. And we're going to explain in this episode. So get ready because in this episode, we're going to get to the bottom of meconium. The bottom of meconium. That's funny, huh? Like the bottom, like anus. Anyway, that's not what I meant. (laughs) We're going to dig deep down into meconium and try to figure out if the degree of meconium staining does actually correlate or not uh, to the passage of, of of the material. All right, let's get into this episode now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This entire concept that meconium staining was a direct result of the duration of meconium exposure can be traced back to a study in 1985. This study showed that gross staining and even microscopic changes like pigment being taken up by macrophages uh, and even within the epithelial cells could be time dependent so that meconium laden macrophages in the chorion, they could be present within three hours of exposure to meconium. So this study led to the hypothesis that it would be possible to estimate the interval from meconium passage to birth on the basis of histological findings. And this would have some relevant clinical and, of course, some legal implications. That article from 1985 was in the Green Journals in Obstetrics and Gynecology, and the first author was Miller. The title of that publication was Dating the Time Interval from Meconium Passage to Birth. Now, it's important to catch what these authors stated, because remember what we just said, based on their results, they said it was possible to have um, some meconium-laden macrophages in, in the placental or histological tissue within three hours of exposure to MEC, within three hours. So that's relatively on the shorter side, all right? However, this in vitro study, so this wasn't, remember, in vivo, this was in vitro, this was on the lab bench. It was only 11 cases, 
And according to some other experts, it really had some issues. It had some major methodological flaws uh, with how the specimens were dealt with and how they were immersed in, a, in the meconium fluid. Uh, meaning, yeah, this was a nice thought, but it doesn't necessarily translate to something that could be replicated in vivo. So it was an N of 11. It was based on lab tests. And it found, yep, yep, you can get some, some macrophages filled with meconium uh, within three hours, so a short duration. But wait, there's more. Let's leave 1985, and now let's go to 2009. This was published in the American Journal of Perinatology, and the first author is FUNAI, that's F-U-N-A-I. The title is Timing of Fetal Meconium Absorption by Amniotic Macrophages. Again, the American Journal of Perinatology in 2009. Like the one from 1985, this was an in vitro study, but this had better approximation of meconium absorption kinetics to those present in vivo, and this study demonstrated that uptake of meconium pigment by amniotic macrophages was in fact directly related to length of exposure. However, according to these researchers, quote, appreciable number of meconium-laden macrophages could be present, but it would have to be at least 24 hours of exposure, end quote. Okay, well, great. <laughs> so did y'all get that? So we've got the bookends. Yay. We've got one article from a 1985 saying, yep, you get mech-laden macrophages within three hours. Check the box. And then you got another one that happened in 2009 said, oh, if there's mech staining, yeah, that's got to be over 24 hours. Uh, what is going on here? All right, podcast family, isn't that just like life? I mean, things just can't be simple, can it? And this is exactly why this issue of meconium staining or lack of it has been used by both sides of a medical legal case, both by the plaintiff and by the defense, sometimes even within the same case, because you just see how, how variable this is. So one study showed it happens quickly. The other says it needs at least 24 hours. And so that means the truth lies right in the middle. You see, it's not just the duration of meconium exposure by itself. There's a lot of other factors that go into play. Now, I don't want to spoil it. I'm going to tell you what those are as we go into this podcast, but it's just not that clear, not that easy as length of time equals mech staining. Not necessarily the case. I do want to tell you that there is a fantastic review on meconium stain fluid that just came out on April the 1st, uh, 2023 in the Gray Journal, the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Uh, and the title is, uh, as you would guess, is Meconium Stained Amniotic Fluid. Uh, the first author is Gallo. That's G-A-L-L-O. Uh, it's, it's under expert review in that category. It's fantastic. So some of this data will come from that. Uh, and then we're going to get into again it, whether this thing of meconium staining and duration of exposure uh, is evidence-based or not. And we're going to explain why that is. But before we get into that, let's just quickly touch on what meconium actually is uh, and what some possible theories are on its passage because it's not always simply uh, a hypoxic issue. I love the origins of some of our medical terms and even some brands like Ambien, right? The sleep agent Ambien, that's A-M-B-N. 
You get it? So it's A-M and then B-I-E-N, M-B-N. That's good morning. Uh, that was very clever, right? Premarin uh, is made from the urine of pregnant mares. Premarin, pretty cool. Well, that's the same kind of tie there with the word meconium because the word meconium actually implies a sleepy state. Uh, the original root for meconium comes from meconi, M-E-K. O-N-I, so meconium, comes from meconi. That means a poppy juice or opium-like. Uh, and that referred to the belief that exposure of the fetus to meconium would make the child uh, depressed, uh, like if they had opium or poppy juice. So this idea of exposure to this greenish fluid causing some kind of, of fetal or neonatal depression actually goes back to Aristotle. Yep, meconi goes back way to Aristotle's time who first coined that term meconi, where we get meconium. But what is meconium? It's not just a material that exits the fetus in utero uh, per anus because the GI tract actually starts expelling some colonic material uh, really pretty early on in the second trimester, but that's not meconium. Meconium is a specific type of colonic content, and we all know it as that greenish-yellowish fluid. Meconium is traditionally something that's thought to occur very late in the second trimester or early third trimester onward. Uh, meconium is a specific type of colonic material. It's composed mainly of water, about 80%. It also has exfoliated skin cells. Laguno has some burnex that the child takes in uh, during swallowing of the amniotic fluid as a recycling uh, kind of pattern. And of course, it has GI secretions. The typical greenish-yellowish color of meconium is traditionally attributed to bile pigments. Bilirubin, which is a product of heme catabolism, is the main pigment in meconium and is detectable in the fetal liver and gallbladder from about 14 weeks of gestation onward. Now, whereas the intestinal contents of children and adults is rich in bacteria, meconium during fetal life in and of itself is sterile. However, meconium can cause that sterile kind of a, a pneumonitis or an inflammatory response that's linked, of course, to the chemical reaction in meconium in the lungs that leads to meconium aspiration syndrome. But it also, if it's very particulate, can cause a true physical obstruction of the airway and that also is part of meconium aspiration. There's three prevailing theories as to why meconium is passed, and the first is that it's nothing more than a physiological response. The rate of meconium-stained amniotic fluid increases as a direct function of gestational age and can reach 27% at 42 weeks. And that's in an otherwise uncomplicated delivery. Uh, there's no issues. Strip looks great. Child is born with a normal pH. It just poops in the in the womb and the reason is is because that's what it's supposed to do it's a, it's a direct result of gi maturation so that's the first thought it's completely physiologic and is a direct function of gestational age the second is that it is an intrapartum reaction to labor as a stress response, but not because of hypoxia, but because of normal head compression. In other words, part of the vagal episodes that happen during normal delivery with normal head compression, like with an early D-cell, uh, that that could trigger uh, the passage of meconium. It could trigger peristalsis. And there is some truth to that. I mean, cortisol, which increases in fetal plasma at the time of labor, can induce intestinal motility. 
motility. So whether it's a direct head compression vagal response, whether it's a normal physiological stress response, uh, getting ready for extra uterine life, the child releases cortisol and that makes it poop. Uh, so one is completely age dependent as GI maturation. Second is a normal reaction intrapartum, assuming everything else looks good, right? There's no other issues. And then the third theory, uh, which gets all of the limelight, is that it's a result of fetal hypoxia. The potential tie to MSAF, meconium stained amniotic fluid, uh, and fetal adverse events goes back to the 17th century. How about that? Uh, with a uh, Voltron that was first reported in 1687, the 17th century, uh, where they observed amniotic stain fluid uh, and their relationship to fetal death. Now, yes, of course, I'm not belittling that meconium stained fluid is a marker, not proof of hypoxia, but a marker of potential uh, hypoxic insult. And, and so that's the key word there. Some use it as evidence of hypoxia when the truth is meconium stained fluid it could be simply a marker of in utero stress. However, the good news, if you look at the actual data, more than 80% of neonates with meconium stain fluid have a normal pH. And I'm not talking about a pH greater than 7.00, which is normal, but a pH greater than 7.20, like lab normal. <laughs> Remember, lab normality for, uh, for a child is considered 7.2 or above, but pathological acidemia uh, as an OBGYN, as a neonatologist, perinatologist, is defined as a pH of less than 7.00. But based on the data, over 80% of neonates that have meconium stained amniotic fluid have a pH not just over 7.00, but greater than 7.20. Now, before you turn me off and go on to the next episode, like, that's not right. I know this is linked to hypoxia. Hold on now. It, it's a marker. I'm not saying it's not. It is definitely possible. But this whole theory that it is absolutely established that meconium passage in utero uh, intrapartum is a direct reflection of hypoxia is, is really not able to be replicated. If you take a look at, at experimental models that have, that have done this, have tried to prove that, uh, that's not what they find. So take this for example. There's evidence that when you constrict the maternal aorta in pregnant rabbits, oh, don't send me any emails, please. I'm not doing it. I'm just giving you what the data is. I know that's kind of mean, but hey, that's how we find out some data. But when they constricted the maternal aorta in pregnant little rabbits to try to induce maternal acidemia and to give fetal distress, actually their little bunny rabbit babies did not have in utero passage of meconium. Wow. There are other studies where they took pregnant sheep and basically made them hypoxic, uh, where they dropped the amount of oxygen enough to give a fetal uh, hypoxia. And guess what? They didn't have any passage of meconium either. Similarly, repeated cord occlusion leading to fetal acidemia has not been associated with meconium passage in these fetal sheep model. So all to say this whole idea that it's absolutely de facto evidence of hypoxic insult, it's possible, but it's not likely the only explanation. So again, I'm not minimizing the issue. If you have severe D cells, yes, there can definitely be fetal passage of meconium as a stress response. I get that. But uh, I'm just trying to make the case that it's not always de facto evidence of intrauterine hypoxia. There could be other issues going on because it's not able to be replicated in animal models. 
Well, I think we've established kind of the background there, right? Now let's get into this whole questionable thing about meconium staining and its tie to possible duration of exposure. Not long ago, we released an episode on bringing amnium infusion back for meconium. That's a thing. Now, you got to go back and listen to that episode because all the data is in there. But even in this April 1st, 2023, a new publication, this new expert review on meconium from the Gray Journal touches on that article. So again, don't go against your hospital policy. If labor and delivery says that's not our policy, we don't do amnium infusion for MEC, uh, just please adhere to the rules. But bring that up at the next policy review that some of that data where the college used to ex-nay amnium infusion for for MEC uh, actually was kind of flawed. So go back and listen to that episode because amnio infusion for MEC is gaining support once again. Now on to MEC staining. Meconium in the chorioamniotic membranes has been used in medical legal litigations to time adverse events and to formulate arguments about medical negligence. But it's not that clear cut at all. Desmond et al. reported that immersion of the lower extremity of neonates in amniotic stained amniotic fluid could cause yellow staining of the toenails in about four to six hours, whereas yellow staining of the vernex should take about 12 to 14 hours. So it takes longer to absorb into the cheesy material. But the amount of variance in this data is huge. For example, Miller et al. incubated discs of chorioamniotic membrane with meconium and reported that meconium-laden macrophages could be present in the amnion after just one hour of exposure and into the chorion after three hours. A subsequent experiment in which exposure of meconium was restricted to the amnion found that it took 24 to 48 hours for a substantial number of meconium-laden macrophages to be observed. This finding has been interpreted as indicating that meconium staining of the membranes reflects fetal defecation that occurred at least one day before delivery. By contrast with these in vitro experiments, an in vivo observational study documented the duration of meconium exposure by change in the color of amniotic fluid from clear to meconium stained actually did not correlate with the level of meconium staining of the tissue. Now, that's a lot of words, but let me be very clear. Most of the data that we've just talked about is in vitro. Ah, but this publication was in vivo and it was intrapartum. So this took patients who are in labor that had clear amniotic fluid at time of rupture and then developed meconium. So that was documented. And then they tracked the amount of time it took for delivery. All right, so now we had a true objective. We know when the passage of meconium happened intrapartum. We know when delivery happened. So now let's correlate that duration of time to meconium uh, staining. That's a great study study. Obviously, those that had ruptured membranes with meconium already present weren't using this analysis. But again, clear amniotic fluid intrapartum, then you find meconium, and then you send off the placenta for histopathological assessment, and then they try to correlate that duration. That's a good study. That publication is actually from 2011, and that was published in ACTA, Obstetrics and Gynecology, Scandinavia. The title of that publication is, Can Placental Histology Establish the Timing of Meconium Passage During Labor? A total of 44 term deliveries of singleton infants that had moderate or thick meconium had placental histological examination. 
20 cases of singleton term pregnancies with clear amniotic fluid all throughout labor were also included as negative controls. The main study, of course, was the relation between the interval of meconium exposure in vivo and uptake by the histological tissue by the macrophages. So, what were the results? Well, the median interval from meconium appearance to delivery was 95 minutes, right? So, that's the median. In other words, hey, there's MEC present and then the child delivers. The median time was 95. But the range was 10 minutes up to 510 minutes. That's like 8.5 hours. Surprisingly, there was no correlation between the interval of meconium appearance to delivery and score of severity of meconium uptake. So what does that mean? It doesn't matter if it was 10 minutes of exposure or up to 8.5 hours of exposure. There was no correlation to the degree of staining. So they concluded just that, quote, duration of placental exposure to meconium in vivo was not related to meconium uptake by macrophages where exposure was up to 8.5 hours. In this April 2023 expert review in the Gray Journal, the authors do talk about this and they state, quote, We are not persuaded that examination of the placenta for meconium staining can lead to reliable inferences about the timing of any fetal injury. Well, isn't that interesting? podcast family before we wrap this up i want to come back and just give you the three main issues the three main factors here that can influence staining of tissue with meconium but we're going to do that coming up next As we get ready to wrap this up, I'm not saying not to send the placenta. I mean, there's still some valuable information that that can gleam. But there's three main factors here, the three big variables that can influence the degree of meconium staining outside of duration. The first is the amount of amniotic fluid. Obviously, there's a lot of amniotic fluid. It's going to be more dilute, and that's going to decrease the propensity of meconium staining. The second variable here is the actual state, the condition of the choreo amniotic membrane uh, and even the umbilical cord. In other words, subacute inflammation, if there's subacute infection. Remember, the patient can be asymptomatic. She can be afebrile, but there can be subacute inflammation. That also influences the degree of meconium staining. It's likely going to facilitate it because there's already an increased number of macrophages to the area as an inflammatory response. So anything that gives uh, histological inflammation can potentially increase meconium staining. There is a tie there between meconium stained amniotic fluid uh, and uh, clinical chorioamnionitis. The two are tied together. So the first thing is the amount of fluid, uh, and the second has to do do with the degree of placental inflammation or inflammation of the chorioamniotic membrane. And the third variable is the one that makes the sense the most is tied to the first, which has to do with the amount of dilution of meconium in the area. So if you have thin meconium, remember thin meconium is not considered pathological. It's too thin to obstruct the airway and it's too dilute to cause chemical uh, reactive airway. That's why there's still some value. That's why there's those supporters calling back amnioinfusion for meconium. So it has to do with the, the particulate matter, the density of meconium, whether it's great one, two, or three, or mild, moderate, or thick. Moderate or thick meconium, just because of its more concentration of bowel pigments, can also lead to increased staining. So those are the three factors, the amount of fluid, if there's histological inflammation, and then the third is the actual degree of particulate matter that makes up the meconium. 
And now that we're at the end, here's the final take-home message. Meconium is an important marker in tripartum. you got to document it, but it's not always linked to hypoxia. Remember the other possibilities that we discussed. And it is not de facto evidence of fetal injury. It simply can be an independent marker of fetal stress response, but not always hypoxia. The final take-home message is while it is important to study the placenta for in cases of meconium just for good documentation, remember that it's very difficult to determine timing of the passage based on the degree of meconium staining. So regardless of what's discussed in the courtroom with he said or she said, the truth is that science is right in the middle. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. I hope you found this helpful. Thank you again for all of your Facebook messages. Thank you for your encouragement. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. Pass the word along. We are always looking to grow our podcast community. We're thankful for those who listen internationally. Thank you for all of your support. As always, we're glad that you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.